0: Love Talk Radio. back. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Accountable Care. I'm your host Greg Masters, producer of the show, and this week in health, this week in accountable care is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, by the way. We need to get a little plug in there for our parent sponsor. And uh, we have not been on the weekly uh, schedule here uh, as uh, we've been busy in in other respects on this week in health innovation and this week in oncology. But we're getting back to it today. We've got an encore appearance by one of my favorite voices in the conversation, and that would be Mr. Bill DeMarco, William DeMarco to be exact. Uh, Bill's a seasoned veteran in the managed care space having pioneered the early development of, the, of HMO's post-HMO Act, so he goes back that far with some nameplate properties, including United Healthcare. Uh, Bill is the president of Pendulum Healthcare Development Corp. and president and CEO of uh, DeMarco & Associates. He's a certified management consultant in healthcare, and he specializes in new healthcare ventures and growth strategies with primary focus on feasibility and design work for communities hold on everyone if you're still with us I'm getting back on the line with our guest Bill DeMarco okay so let me just say that Skype is great when it works. Okay. (laughs) Bill? Very good. Um, can Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can't believe it. Okay. Okay. Let's see. 2826 Are you there? Oh. I can hear you. Can you hear me?
1: I can. I can. Okay.
0: Now. Okay. Happening. Yeah. So I I just put in the guest call in number six one nine three nine three two eight two six. If we lose you again, uh, right. just just try that. And if we have continued technical difficulties, we will reschedule. But uh, all right.
1: it uh, number again.
0: the six one nine. 619-393-2836. Okay, that's plan D. Okay. Yeah, that's plan B. Okay, so um, anyway, uh, I think we got most of the introduction in. in the, the, the last time we, we chatted, it, it was a while back, and we were talking about this impending ACO explosion and, you were um, uh, of the mindset that there's a lot more going on, and if you widen the net up to and including managed care entities like uh, Medicare Advantage Contractors, that portion of the of of, of the beneficiary world, both commercial and private. Um, uh, excuse me. I think we lost you. I think we lost you. Are you still there, Bill? Okay, we're going to go to Plan B, everyone. <laughs> This is a first, I must say. This is very interesting. So, while we're waiting for Bill to call back in, I'm going to try and finish my thought there, which was uh, Bill is an advocate of the of, of the worldview that, uh, in in light of the sort of mixed tea leaf sentiment around accountable care organizations, you had the pro camp. Elliot Fisher, Mark McClellan, uh, Don Berwick, you know, and many others, as well as their health plan, as well as their health plan. I um, Bill, I can Great. hear you. And I, I was just set in the context about last time we talked that you were of the mindset that there's a bigger picture here in terms of accountable care and look at the history, including what's going on in the commercial space as well as the participation in the Medicare Advantage Program, if you coupled that with sort of the metrics around the, um, you know, certified ACOs from CMS perspective, there was a much wider population here that first seemed, and we got a little cross with uh, Jeff Goldsmith who took a different opinion and so forth. Anyway, since that time, are you there, Bill? I'm here. Okay. Since that time... Uh, there are funny things happening on my switchboard, which I cannot explain. This is the first, so uh, if if we have a uh, if this is persistent technical difficulties, we'll reschedule. But let's assume we're still connected because it looks like we are. Let's just update in light of the CMS uh, announcement recently about the changes in the participation of nine members in the class of 32 of the Pioneer program let's start with that tell us first up who were what's the pioneer class and what are we to make of the news that was uh, posted uh, a while back by CMS give us your take
1: well the uh, pioneers were supposed to be uh, the larger groups with uh, larger resources mostly physician groups Uh, A lot of uh, AMGI members who I think uh, had a great influence in helping to uh, rewrite uh, some parts of the proposed law uh, so that physicians would be able to get their arms around it and and do well. Uh, So I think there were some good things that happened with that particular group uh, as leaders uh, for us. Uh, the pioneer rules were a little different than the traditional Medicare shared savings in that uh, they were able to take a little bit bigger chunk from uh, the Medicare dollar uh, than the uh, the standard Medicare shared savings. And as a result of that, they would be also taking a little bit more risk. So they had more like a track two type arrangement with uh, risk on the bottom and risk on the top. Well, that's great if you've been a a multi-specialty group uh, that has done work like this before, has managed risk, uh, and most of these big groups have. But uh, to try and do it in a year uh, or less, to try and gear up to actually do that, uh, that's a very, very hard thing to do. Uh, My guys here uh, in Rockford, we had a large multi-specialty group practice. It took at least four years for the group to really uh, settle on seeing where uh, some of these savings work to their advantage and that they were able to build some capacity that they didn't have before and that they were actually able to see the advantage of having their own product here. But they had to then also learn risk. So this is not unusual. You're dealing with a corporate culture in a lot of these cases where uh, some of the groups say, gee, we can do this because we're big and we have these resources. And some of the groups will say, well, we've got actual experience in doing this. And then some of the groups, they don't really get out of the starting box real quick and as a result of that, they may be six, seven months into the program and they haven't even submitted data yet and the CMS folks are saying, where is your data? And they're starting to come to the realization, maybe they they made a rash decision or rushed into it a little bit too soon, in which case they can still stay in the ACO program. They can go to this Medicare shared savings level where they're only dealing with top-end risk, meaning that if they create savings, they share in savings with Uncle Sam. But uh, there were a couple that uh, didn't make it even to that point for various reasons that I'm not totally aware of, but the idea being that after you've been doing this for a year, if, you, if you're if you not generating results or at least making uh, some very strong strides forward, uh, you're probably going to have problems in the future. And as you and I both know, working with physicians and hospitals, uh, right there, there's a, there's a potential communication gap and or conflict, in which case uh, it's better that they uh, pull backwards and then Maybe start again next year uh, or when they're ready to uh, manage the risk a little bit. Greg? Uh oh. (laughs) This is not our day, my friend.
0: Bill, I'm sorry, I was on mute.
1: You had it. Get it Oh, okay, didn't get
0: it. Right, no, but I got all that. So I, I, oh. actually, what I was having a conversation with myself, but I was saying, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, so where do you come down on the side of this, the battle for the control of the narrative? I, I heard what you just said, uh, but uh, which, which, camp, uh, which camp would you be uh, advocating from?
1: Well, I think that the idea is that whenever there is a a journey like this that starts and a lot of people still refer to it as a program and I think it had an excellent show here recently where that was part of the gist of things saying uh, people have to look at this as truly a journey uh, and if they're not prepared if they don't have their backpack packed and they don't have a good map uh, they're probably better just to stay home until they're ready to do this so I come down on the narrative saying that any kind of a journey like this you're going to have a few that are going to take a detour uh, or fall aside just by virtue of the fact that it is something that is very difficult to do. You've got culture as uh, probably one of the key indicators. Uh, we've, uh, people ask me, what is the leading cause of death of ACOs? And I say you know, non-alignment of physicians. Uh, then that was the tra- case with PHOs. It was the case with clinical integration. It was the case with early provider-sponsored HMOs. Uh, this is where the physicians have to be aligned around a vision and have that map before they, uh, they leave the, uh, the capsite. Uh, otherwise, they're in serious trouble. Uh, The other side of the narrative where there's a lot of negative on ACOs, and I think that kind of flows back into the government's uh, frustration with their own uh, inability to communicate some of these points effectively, uh, I think that's a narrative that we're going to continue to hear. But it also uh, indicates that uh, where we were three years ago, there was not even ACO legislation. Uh, Two years ago, we had no ACOs. Uh, Now we're just coming up on the first graduating class here, and there's over 400, 500 ACOs that are out there. So it's not like this is a a, a real bad situation. I think it's something that you have to accept with any kind of a uh, new journey that people go on.
0: That's great. And I I think as Jim Hansen over at the the, uh, Accountable uh, Delivery System Institute of Maris Operation uh, pointed out that yes, this is a journey, and to actually not forget that the bottom line here is there was 33 million in net savings generated for the Medicare trust serving savings um, for Medicare trust fund. So, um, while, and I, I think it's interesting if you just were to scan the headlines, you'd get uh, a sense of uh, how people come come up on this. Uh, You know, uh, for instance, the Kaiser Health News uh, headline is nine pioneer ACOs jump ship after first year. You know, whereas the indicia of the actual group performance is um, um, two will leave the CMS ACO program altogether. Seven will eliminate downside risk uh, um, by reapplying under the terms of the standard Medicare shared savings program. So technically they're not exiting as an ACO. 32 of the 32 100% improved quality of patient care and rated highly on patient satisfaction scores you know um and there was what 140 in total 140 million in total savings 52.4 in total losses and 76 uh in shared savings to be returned to the uh 13 pioneers and that's the net of the 33 so you know if you one one were to say hey put the dashboard up and let's do a deeper dive into into the metrics here uh, that's a pretty interesting story no
1: It is. It's a very interesting story, and it goes back to my earlier point, saying that as these uh, pioneers and the other ACOs, and now we're seeing hospitals are are now saying, hey, it's safe to get in the water. We're going to give this a good shot because we can't really stand on the sideline anymore. So all of those groups, uh, we're changing Medicare uh, permanently in terms of both the reimbursement as well as the incentives for uh, really focusing in on issues of quality, which we now know, of course, does work. Uh, So the idea being that uh, this kind of a program or this kind of a journey is going to impact uh, uh, 15 to 20 percent of the Medicare uh, population, that's not unheard of, and I think when you add the Medicare Advantage uh, program, which is still growing, uh, you're really looking at almost 20% of the entire Medicare population being in a different uh, delivery system with different incentives and different um, uh, reimbursement schedules. All of the things that we talked about with clinical integration that, for whatever reason, didn't work, it is now starting to work, and it's with a population that really uh, is very, very uh, difficult to manage. Uh, and if we can do it here, we can do it just about anywhere, as they say. So I think this uh, this is a good good note to let people know this is not easy to do, not everybody can be an ACO or should be an ACO, but those that should, they're going to be really working hard at it and continue to really uh, succeed uh, in markets and bring some competition and some improved quality.
0: So I have to ask you, I mean, since you have a, a longitudinal view here, why is physician alignment so difficult?
1: because of the way physicians are brought up and trained. They are trained to be very independent, especially the surgeons. There isn't somebody there they can beg on and say, gee, would you do this for me? They are really accustomed to be very independent thinkers and see themselves as uh, both scientists and business people. And the more that we've had uh, for-profit injected into the healthcare system, the more a lot of people are seeing, wow, there's a lot of different incentives running around that are maybe counter uh, to delivering good care, uh, just delivering a lot of care. And that's where I think we might have gotten off for our original agenda what we were trying to do with healthcare 20 years ago but i think the physicians that are saying i need to protect what i have here uh, and i also need to be able to make my own independent judgment and work forward uh, and so when you are saying build into a group a lot of the physicians either have seen a group fail or they've been in an ipa that has not done well or for whatever reason just don't see the value of collaborating with other groups now that's changing Little by little, uh, we're working with a group uh, on the East Coast right now where that's exactly what these specialists are doing. They don't want to be left out. At the same time, they don't want to sell themselves out to a single group. So they're forming a network MSO, and the MSO is going to provide a lot of centralized services and take a lot of extra time off of their desk where they've been been doing paperwork and really be able to work with uh, these ACOs, uh, and there's a lot of other organizations I think uh, specialty and otherwise who can do that same thing uh, but I think there's a lot of uh, independent streaks still there saying I don't want to you know. we had one in uh, Cincinnati where we tried everybody to get the same uh, brand of a lease car and they really got a good, very very good deal but not everybody wanted a Buick <laughs> so it's just very hard uh, to get everybody together in the same uh, on the same piece of paper but what I, I am seeing is, is a change in that, where a lot of the physicians have figured out, even if they've been very successful, that they've taken this so far, and they are not totally aware of all the things that are in this uh, uh, this Affordable Care Act, and so as a result of it, they're saying this is a whole new ballgame. They're seeing it as a scientist and as a business person. If this is what I have to do to protect what I've earned, then this is what I'll be willing to do. Uh, Complain about it? Yes fact the matter is uh it's an asset that they have in their head and uh, they've been able to make a good living at it and now it, it, it there are some change that needs to be put forward
0: so I uh, totally agree i mean there is a zeitgeist sentiment shift there's no question about it but um, back to the question of um, training and, and and culture basically uh where's AAWAMC on this are they are they listening if if this is the 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 go-to issue why change has been so difficult why this alignment quest has been so elusive dating back to Henry Mayo's comment you know in the twenties about integration um, is where's double AMC on this and are they part of the solution or are they just uh, special interest part of the problem
1: well it it's hard to say where you're you're talking about the medical societies and the medical specialties uh it's hard to say i think some specialty uh uh groups depending on where they are uh are going to be fiercely independent uh if you if you go to texas you go to uh, some of these other groups uh they they're, they're going to be fiercely independent but now, if you go to California, uh, they're even coming back and saying, here are some of the things you can do. And some of the other special, single specialty organizations are saying, don't give up your single specialty, but there are ways to collaborate, build MSOs, build IPAs, whatever words, we're probably going to see some other letters to uh, to represent these specialty IPAs in a very short period of time. But there's a real advantage uh, to that in terms of sharing uh, overhead and expense. Uh, some of these people have surgery centers that uh, can do things Uh, very quickly and very effectively so that it keeps it away out of the hospital. And so some of the specialists are saying, gee, these hospitals are competing with me by hiring all these specialists. I think I'm going to compete with them by going with these ASCs and going with some of my colleagues here. So I think you're seeing some some evolution in some of the more busy markets where a lot of these ACOs have started to really uh, put down markers and say this is where we are and where are you? And so they're going to have to say, gee, I'm I'm going to vote for myself and protect my my own self-interest here, but if I have to work with others to do it, all I want is to make sure that the others I'm working with are quality doctors. And that's what we want. We want that credentialing in the back of their head, saying, I'm with a quality group. It isn't a group practice, but it's a good quality group. And if they can do that, and through the specialty societies convey uh, an opportunity to really share in the uh, in the equity and the outcome of that, that really improves patient safety. I think that's that's the piece we've been missing here for a while, is people have been so much into cost controls and cost containment, and it makes the physicians just, you know, their stomachs just roll over and over again, because cost containment means I'm going to have to give up some revenue. But now we're starting to talk about patient safety, and this is where LeapFrog Group was genius in terms of the way they work with the hospitals on, uh, on safety issues, a lot of which are really quality issues. But you tie those two together, there isn't a physician out there that says, no, I want my patients to be unsafe. I want my patients. I want to back this, the, the, the safety situation. And I think that's where we need to get to.
0: So uh, I, I think we can pretty much see where the narrow, you know, so-called narrowly cast uh, special interests of medical societies would would come into play here, and that they might not be uh, uh, on the bleeding edge of innovation, as uh, Eric Topol likes to say. That you know it, could, it will come from um, in spite of them, and perhaps uh, on, on, at the margins, but but double AMC and. The Association of Academic Medical Centers certainly have it. They have a role here. They're training the physicians of the future. If the old models are tired and worn out and don't work anymore, the question is, uh, what is what replaces it? And I, I have to say, I did a uh, broadcast on um, this crowds care for cancer uh, ONC NCI sponsored uh, challenge to develop um, apps for survivors. And I spoke with uh, Patty Gans at uh, UCLA, who's a uh, joint appointment uh, in oncology and, uh, and epidemiology. And, I, and, I, and she's kind of at the interface of uh, the psychosocial angle around the medical in caring for cancer patients and a long-term player at UCLA, impeccable academic credentials, and it looked like she had a foot in both camps, you know, the new and different versus the old and and, and maybe tired. And I asked her, what's your experience from your your seat? Are you optimistic, or do you think... See things changing, and by that I meant, you know, the siloed nature, the departmental sacred cows, where it's about empire building, as opposed to cross disciplinary fertilization. And she blew me away. She said, "No, I'm not optimistic. I don't see much change." So if that's a proxy for what's going on on the re engineering of the culture side, at least insofar as academic medical centers are concerned, well, what does that say?
1: Well, and it is something I know uh, our physicians here, we've had a lot of discussions about are we training an entire uh, generation of physicians who are going to come out and, yes, they're going to use computers and, yes, they're going to use medical research and they're going to use the latest findings, but they're just going to want a job. They're just going to want to work from 8 to 5 and, you know, maybe four days a week. Uh, And so is that what we really want to do? Because then we've really taken that independent streak out of medicine. And uh, that's why I kind of couch it that way to say that independent streak is not a bad thing for a clinician to have because in the worst situation, it will save them. But at the same time, you're looking at the business aspect of this uh, to be something that can be shared in a lot of different ways. So I think somewhere between this idea that we're all going to be robots and put into groups and then this whole idea where we're going to be cowboys and we're going to be out in the Wild West, somewhere in between there we've got some uh, physicians that I think are going to go into the group practices and say, you know, I'm not happy doing this the way that I thought I was going to be, and yes, for my lifestyle it's wonderful, but you know, my kids are grown now, I really don't need the uh, the, the shackles of the group practice, I want to go out and do X. And that's where I think you're going to get people that are going to have one leg in both worlds and get the uh, the, the issue you brought up in the psychosocial and the support and, uh, you know, the uh, how do you effectively use primary care, how do you effectively use the mid-levels, all of these Things that we know work, and it's just now a matter of getting these laboratories to really get going, and that's what an ACO can be: it is a laboratory where we can try a lot of these different things. I have some ACOs that just swear on having embedded primary care case managers in every primary care practice that they have, and then I have others who say, "No, we should be sending it to home care first, and then when home care calls us in, then we're going to coordinate from there." Both models are working now. How long with the durability on it, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is Uh, there's different experiments going on.
0: Right, and I, I hear this perhaps this lifestyle shift thing that's that's actually taking place, where uh, newly you know uh, docs would rather hire up with a medical group or Kaiser than go out and solo practice. It looks like solo practice is a dying breed. But I'm wondering how many of these employment deals are going to blow up in the near term. So we're we're coming down, and two minutes left. And uh, I want to just run some of these names behind you because CMS named the pioneers who are exiting, and I was a little surprised by some. I just want to get your take at. Any- them stand out, Uh, they are in order uh, Healthcare Partners California, ACO, Healthcare Partners Nevada, ACO, JSA Care Partners, I'm not familiar with them, Physician Health Partners, Denver, PLUS, which is the North Texas Specialty Physicians and the Texas Health uh, Resources Joint, Joint Venture, Presbyterian and Albuquerque Prime Care Network, Ontario, California, Seton Health Alliance in Austin, Texas, and the University of Michigan in Arbor any of those
1: names sound like wow why that's I, odd i know some of the folks i know some of the folks that you've read off there and some of them are just as we said they didn't get out of the starting gate quick enough, and then three, four months later when they should have had all of this agenda done, they don't have it done, and they're saying, wow, we, we should have conducted a feasibility study and really learned what we were getting into. I, I think that's part of it. And then there's some that are going to say, gee, you know, the physician's halfway through said, so enough, you know, I, I don't want to hear any more about accountable care. Uh, you know, I want out of this. If we don't have to do it, then we shouldn't be doing it, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's, you know, there's room for both. Uh, but, again, if their backpack is not packed and they don't have a good map, they shouldn't leave the campsite. Uh, it is uh, you know, just any kind of business that you're in. Uh, this is why they made the ACO at this point optional, but that may change again.
0: There you go. If you don't have the backpack, you shouldn't be at the campsite. I love that visual. Okay, Bill, that's going to have to be the last word. My apologies for the technical difficulties we had. Uh, I want to thank my guest today, Bill DeMarco, President CEO of DeMarco & Associates and President at Pendulum Healthcare Development Corp for his time today. We will do this weekly at This Week in Accountable Care. Please join us next week for another episode of This Week in Accountable Care. This is Greg Masters saying bye now. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill.